Hey, Mark chapter 10, uh, if you're new to Story Church, we're on a, in a sermon series on the spiritual disciplines. I'm going to put that there, Jordan. Um, and uh, and we, are, we are talking about the spiritual disciplines that God has given us in order for us to kind of put ourselves under the waterfall of his mercy, that, that we train ourselves for godliness, that we are trying to grow in grace, and he has given us disciplines that he's modeled for us and taught us in the New Testament of how we can position ourselves under that waterfall of grace and mercy. And so we've talked about intake of the Bible. We've talked about prayer and worship and evangelism. This week, we're talking about serving. We're talking about serving as our discipline. We're in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read for us verses 42 through 45. God's word says to us, and Jesus called to them, called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, When I read this passage, every time I read this passage, I think to myself, what is greatness? Or who is great? And I begin to think about, like, what are the ingredients of greatness? And most often when we're considering the idea of greatness, we're thinking about a a strength or a gift or a genius or a talent that someone has, and they put it on display for us to watch, and we're entertained by it, and we're wowed by it. And certainly, um, that might be what greatness is. Let me give you a couple examples what I mean by that. A couple of years ago, Kitty and I went to the LA Open at Riviera Country Club and we followed around a golfer named Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson's like 6'5", 250, and he pounds the ball. I mean, I've never seen a ball go so far, so high, so fast, so straight. Insane, and it was just great. And I'm a nerd and I'm a golfer, so I'm just like, that is so sick. I wanna do that one time in my life, just once. I think about Chris Stapleton. I mean, that national anthem he sang a couple years ago at the Super Bowl is like, Wow, is anyone ever gonna outdo that? I don't think so, personally. He has a talent, a genius that is overwhelming. I was gripped by it. I think of Makoto Fujimara and his art and his writing, the beauty he puts on display, pictures of the gospel, metaphors of the gospel. I think about these things, these gifts, this greatness that's on display for us. But what I don't think about often enough about what is greatness, I don't think about my mom caring for her 87-year-old mother with dementia day after day after day, a mom who doesn't love her back, who doesn't even know her, and yet she sacrificially gives her life away for her. I don't think often enough about Katie giving her life away day after day after day so that Peyton and Owen can know and follow and love Jesus. Yes, we want them to grow in math and science and all those things, but we want them to know Jesus, and she is laying her life down in greatness for them. I don't think often enough about, uh, about uh, just to name a few, Emily Welch or Amy Hacopian or Natalie Hamilton who go in the baby's room and hold our babies and pray for them and sing to them and read the gospel to them so that one day they will be baptized and they'll be the leaders at this church. I don't think often enough about the 10 different families at Story Church who week after week after week after week open their homes so that hundreds of us can enter in and know more about Jesus in community. That, friends, is greatness. And that's what Mark chapter 10 is all about. 
Greatness is about serving. That's the point. You see, the context here is James and John, the the pesty little sons of Zebedee, who were a part of the inner circle of Jesus. And they approach Jesus earlier in the chapter and say, hey, Jesus, when you get to glory, we want to sit at your right and your left hand. And, and when people exalt you, Jesus, when people glorify you, when they bow down to you, they're gonna simultaneously bow down to us because, you know, look at all that we're doing alongside you, Jesus. And Jesus kind of confronts them and says, boys, you got it twisted. You always have it twisted. How long do I, I have to teach you, right? Always, I need it always. And he says to them, hey, you're not willing, you're not able to drink the cup I'm going to drink and to taste the baptism I'm going to taste. And what he's talking about there is, is drinking the cup of suffering. When we take communion every week, it is Jesus's blood spilled for our salvation. That's what he's talking about there. When Jesus is talking about his baptism, he's talking about being laid dead in a grave for our life. He's saying, James and John, you're not willing to lay your life down for the sake of others. You don't know what it means to be truly great. You see, Jesus says greatness is in line with service, and service is about self-sacrifice for the sake of others. But as we talk about service this morning, hear me, this spiritual discipline is not a call to convenience. It is a costly call but it is a great calling. It is a calling where we get to serve the king who first served us so that more and more people can know and love and follow Jesus. And when we lay our lives down for people like my grandma, my kids, and those babies over in Story Kids right now, we are impacting eternity forever. We are impacting the kingdom forever. Greatness is found in service. Now, just a little caveat, because this is a shorter sermon than, than is normal. When I'm talking about service today, I'm going to be talking specifically about in the local church. Hear me. We should serve in our homes, in our neighborhoods. We should serve at our workplaces. Don't send me any emails. Service is about in the church. We're talking about that today, okay? I'm not going to hit everything every week. Now, but let, me, let me give the outline for this morning real quick. Number one, motivations for serving. Number two, we are gifted to serve. And number three, the call to service. Okay, you guys with me? Two people are with me. We'll, we'll roll, we'll roll. <laughs> number one, motivations for serving. Motivations. When I'm talking about motivations, I'm talking about what proceeds from your heart. Your heart is the operational center of your being. You become like that what you worship you behave like that what you, which you love. Your heart naturally propels you into your actions. So when, when we are talking about serving, hear me, today is not about guilting anyone into serving. Guilt is a great motivator in life, temporarily. It wears off over time. I'm not talking about the results of our serving. God says don't be concerned with the results. Like, like let me give you a couple of examples. We have the Apostle Paul. Great servant, great preacher, wrote much of the New Testament, planted churches everywhere, and one time he preached a sermon that put someone to bed and he fell out of a windowsill, okay? So when you're, when you're dozing off during my preaching, I'm like, hey, it happened to Paul, we're okay. We'll, we'll do that. Then on the other hand, we have Jonah, the reluctant begrudging prophet who went to Nineveh and preached a one-sentence terrible sermon and the whole city came to faith. 
The results are not what I'm talking about. Most of service is gonna be done in humble anonymity where we're not concerned with the results and the outcomes. What I'm talking about is something deeper. I am talking about a heart that is so captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love for us that we can't help but serve others. When I'm talking about motivations from the heart, I'm talking about a heart that is so overcome with the grace of Jesus that we don't care if we're seen for our service. I'm talking about a heart that so desires men everywhere and women everywhere to hear the gospel that we will serve God in any way that he calls us to, even and especially if it means self-denial and self-sacrifice. It's all about a heart captured and infected by the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what what are those motivations? Look back at the text with me. Verses 42 and the first part of verse 43. And Jesus called them, the disciples, most prominently James and John, called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. Stop right there. Jesus does a little compare and contrast for his disciples. He talks about the great ones, right? The ones that they would all look to, the king of Babylon, the king of Assyria, the king of Rome, the Gentile rulers of the age. He says, with their power, what do they do? They lord it over you. They're domineering, they're heavy-handed, they're abusive. They exercise their authority in a way that they receive things from you and they refuse to give anything to you. Once they have their power, they're never gonna lay their power down and they're certainly not gonna give any of it over to you. They rule by executive order. And he says, instead, be a servant. You see, the Gentile lords wanted to be seen. They wanted to be applauded. They wanted to... They want to complete totalitarian rule. And hear me, that is the natural inclination of the human heart. Every one of us in this room, whether we're kings or not, want complete autonomy and complete independence. It is the very thing that led us into sin and continues to lead us into sin. Think about the garden episode with me for a second. The serpent comes into Adam and Eve and he tempts them. And and what does he say to them? He says, hey, you can eat of that tree. And when you eat of it, your eyes are gonna be open. You're gonna become like God. You're gonna be a ruler. You're gonna be a king. You're gonna have all authority and independence and autonomy. And that very desire is implanted in us through our own sin and and by birth. And we all desire that same authority and independence. And yet it is the gospel of Jesus that not only saves us from our sin, but it frees us from that desire for independence, frees us from that desire for autonomy. It is the gospel that gladly declares, I am weak, but in my weakness is when Jesus' strength is perfected and shown. It is the gospel that frees us to say, I am not my own. I was bought at a steep price. I belong to someone to be used by him for his glory and for the good of others. It is the gospel that frees us to tell us we don't have independence, but rather we are totally dependent upon King Jesus. And John 15 says we must abide in the vine because apart from him, we can't do squat. We are totally dependent, needy, weak, people. It is the gospel that humbles us. The first motivation is humility. Service 
motivated by humility. Look back at the text. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you prideful arrogance, but whoever would be great must be a servant. And whoever would be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus was literally humiliated in the gospel. He was humiliated. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, left the bliss of heaven's throne to come into creation. The creation he created and sustains He put on flesh and dwelt among us and walked around in this muck and mire, walked around in our mess and our filth, and he lived perfectly. And then he goes and faces a cross for the very ones who hate him. And then he was lifted up on that cross, naked, ashamed, mocked, spit on, beaten, surrounded by people laughing at him. And he was humiliated for us. He breathed his last. He was taken from that wooden cross and laid in Joseph's tomb. And yet Philippians 2 doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that in Jesus' humiliation, then comes our exaltation. It is through Jesus' death that we can have life. It is not a mistake that Jesus died on a cross. He served us to ransom us. He served us to save us. And we must have that same humility, willing to serve others. How do we know if we have this motivation? I think we need to ask ourselves some questions. Ask ourselves a question of, um, are we okay with doing things that are beneath us? We've all been around that person that's holding out for a management position. And it's like, no, bro, just go get a job make some money, provide. I'm holding out for management. No, no, you, you aren't. And, and yet we, we kind of laugh at that and belittle that and we bring that posture into the church where it's like, no, 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 I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna hold the doors and welcome people. I did that in my old church. I'm not gonna hold babies. I work with babies all week long. That's beneath me. That's pride, friends. We ask ourselves the question, are we okay with doing things in complete anonymity? Are we okay with serving gladly in the darkness so that no one ever sees it in the light? Are we okay with that or do we need the applause of man? We ask ourselves the question, are we okay giving our time and attention to something or someone that the world says is a waste? We were the waste. Jesus saw us and saved us. He gave his life away for those on the fringes and we must do the same. Service is motivated by humility. Second, Service is motivated by love. Service is motivated by love. We think about in the gospel, what is it that compels Jesus to come to earth and save us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that we might be free. At just the right time, compelled by his love, Jesus died for the sake of sinners and his enemies to make us friends and to give us redemption. We love because he first loved us. We love because God is love. 1 Corinthians 13, which is not a wedding sermon, but that's okay, that's neither here nor there, says that faith, hope, and love are the the three main virtues of the kingdom of God. And one day, faith and hope are gonna fade. What does that mean? It means that right now we have faith in an unseen savior, but one day our faith will become sight. And when we see Jesus, we won't need faith anymore. 
Hope is a confident assurance that the promises of God are going to come to pass in my life, that surely he's going to return and redeem all things, and I'm going to dwell with him forever. We hope with confidence that that is going to come to pass, and one day it will, friends, and we won't need hope anymore. We'll have hope in the flesh, but love, love endures forever. God's love towards us and our love towards him. And the gauge upon which we know how much we are receiving God's love for us is how willing we are to love others. So the Bible tells us, we will be known by the world by our love. We must be willing to serve anyone and everyone, the least, the last, the lost, for the sake of the love of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.13 says this, you, my brothers, were called to be free But do not use your freedom to indulge sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We serve in love. Humility, love, service is also motivated by gratitude and gladness. Let me read to you a few verses here. 1 Samuel 12, 24 says this. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. When we consider the great things God has done for us, when we recount his faithfulness minute by minute, breath by breath, it overflows into a heart that can't help but serve. Psalm 102 says this, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. You know what's the worst? None of you do this, okay? Hear me. When you drop your kids off and someone's like... It's 8.30, I haven't had my coffee yet, and I'm gonna deal with that kid. Like, no, 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 we have glad hearts. We get to serve, we don't have to serve. We get to serve, and we get to share Jesus, and we get to proclaim the gospel. Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper, a servant in the house of my God than dwell in the tent of wickedness. God has invited us to his kingdom and to his home. We now call God Father. We are children of the most high God of the universe. How can we not be willing to do anything? We were once opposed to him, blasphemers, and he saved us and put our feet on solid ground. There is gladness bursting forth. There is gratefulness bursting forth that leads us into service. Finally, a service that is motivated by salvation. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. Biblically, this idea of ransom is an idea of substitutionary atonement. Here's what that phrase means. There are a ton of effects for our sin, a ton of effects. We are broken because of it. We hurt others because of it. We partner with Satan and with our flesh in it. We give in to the world because of our sin. We're imprisoned, bound up by our sin. But the most egregious effect of our sin is this. We have put ourselves in opposition to a holy God. A holy and a righteous God who has designed this world and told us how to live and we completely betrayed his design and rebelled against him. And when we do that, because he is holy, he does not leave sin unpunished. Those who do not repent and follow Jesus will receive the wrath of the Father and eternal separation from him. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus ransomed us. 
Here's what that means. It means that Jesus willingly and freely goes to the cross to pay our debt in full. When we rack up a debt of sin against a holy God, Jesus is the one, according to Colossians, that nails that debt to the cross. It is canceled. We can never pay it back on our own, but Jesus paid it in full. We are freely forever forgiven in the gospel. And as Jesus was there on the cross, yes, he was mocked. Yes, he was beaten. Yes, he was laughed at. But the most painful thing that he faced was the wrath of the Father that we deserved being poured out squarely upon him. And Jesus then is torn down from that cross, laid in a tomb, and descends into the darkness upon which we should lay. Jesus faces everything we deserve for our sin so that we can be set free. We can be ransomed. Our feet can be on solid ground and we can worship him forever, made new as sons and daughters of the King Jesus. Guys, this is the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel. We have been ransomed, and it wasn't because we were deserving. It was because Jesus served us. And so we, knowing we've been saved, serve others so they can hear the story of Jesus. Listen to this quote from Spurgeon. The heir of heaven serves his Lord simply out of gratitude. He has no salvation to gain and no heaven to lose. Now out of love for the God who chose him and who gave so great a price for his redemption, he desires to lay himself out entirely to his master's service. The child of God serves not for life, but from life. He does not work to be saved, but because he is saved. These are our motivations, friends. Humility, love, gratitude, gladness, and our salvation. We are motivated to serve. Next point here, gifted to serve. So serving is motivated in the gut by a heart that is captivated by the gospel and Jesus's work for us. And then God compels us and commands us, go and serve me, go and do likewise. And then he continues to walk alongside us in our service. Listen to 1 Peter 4. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever serves as one serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That, that text, 1 Peter 4, tells us clear as day we have grace to serve. We are serving not, from grace, or not for grace, but from grace. We have strength to serve. God has supplied us with his spirit living within us, strengthening us to fulfill the task of service. And we are gifted to serve for the glory of Jesus. Now, what is this idea of gifting? When the spirit dwells within you, when you repent and trust in Jesus as savior, the spirit comes and makes home within you and he gives you gifts to serve him. We have various gift lists throughout the New Testament. We have 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We have 1 Peter 4. We have Ephesians 4. I don't have time today to kind of list them all and walk through them, wish I could, but there are various things such as hospitality, helps, mercy, teaching, shepherding, administration, leadership. It goes on and on and on. But here's what I think what happens to us. We, we kind of look at those gift lists and we think like, oh, what's mine? What's mine? And we get like paralysis by analysis. Like I'm not gonna do anything until I know clearly what my gift is. And my encouragement, church, is always this. Serve and your gift will work itself out. 
Just do something and you will discover how God has wired and gifted you. And most often, if you wanna know how you're gifted, just look at your natural abilities and talents throughout your life and that's kinda how God gifted you. Listen to J.I. Packer, he says this. The most significant gifts in the church's life in every era are ordinary natural abilities sanctified. So if you wanna know how am I gifted to serve, ask yourself this question. What have I always been good at and how can I use it in a sanctified way, right? So I always got in trouble with my words. I still do. I still do sometimes, right? My mom would always be like, why do you always have to have the last word? And I, and I go pick fights that my brother would have to take care of for me, right? You know what I'm saying there? And, and I always, I got in trouble. I got kicked out of classes. I got moved to the front row. I got detention. I got suspended. My words always got me in trouble. And now look at me a trophy of God's grace. <laughs> Truly, I mean that. I'm not like, oh, I'm so good. I'm not. God gifted me with words and he saved me and he redeemed me and now I get to use it for the sake of his kingdom. Maybe helps is your gift, right? So, so maybe, um, maybe in elementary school you were called a teacher's pet, okay? And that's, a, that's kind of like used negatively, like you're, you're a bad person, but maybe you're always a person that teacher's like, who wants to erase the chalkboard and then take those things outside and just make a cloud of dust with them? And you're like, me! And, and, and who wants to help me hand out these papers? Me! Who wants to stay after class and help me clean up? Me! It was me! Maybe helps is your gift, right? Maybe during high school, during that kind of like group project phase, you're like, I'm gonna coordinate this whole thing. I'm gonna make sure you do this and you do this and I'm gonna follow up and you get that part done. I'm gonna get that part done. Maybe administration is your gift. You're organized in that way. Maybe mercy is your gift. Maybe you have always been the person that when your teacher said, hey, there's gonna be a new student in class yesterday, your first thought wasn't, oh, how can I find his weakness and exploit it? Your first thought was, can he come eat lunch with me? I'm gonna invite him in. He's gonna be all alone. He's not gonna know anyone. Or maybe when you come to church on Sundays, you see the person standing in the corner that doesn't know anyone. You're like, I'm going to that person. Mercy might be your gift. Maybe praying, your, your first action in life is I wanna get on my knees before God and bring it to his throne of grace because he has the power, I don't. And you just are a person who prays. The list goes on and on and on. Look back over your life. What were you naturally good at? And now Jesus, as he saved you and his spirit dwells within you, how can you use those things in a sanctified way? And we wanna use it at Story Church because we need it. There is one body with many members, every member necessary to the flourishing of the whole. If we don't have the toe or the eye, man, we're in trouble. And so we need you. You are gifted to serve. Final point here, the call to service. So 1 Timothy 4, 7, kind of the theme verse for this series, train for godliness, exercise, work towards growing in godliness through the disciplines. We must train ourselves to be a people who serve in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in the church. And I wanna to continue to call everyone who calls Story Church home to a life of self-sacrifice and self-service, not self-service, serving of others. Listen to this quote from Don Whitney. Two of the deadliest of our sins, sloth and pride, hate serving. They paint glazes on our eyes and put chains on our hands and feet so that we don't serve as we know we should or even as we want. 
If we don't discipline ourselves to serve for the sake of Christ and his kingdom and for the purpose of godliness, we will serve only occasionally when it's convenient or self-serving. This call to service is not a call to a life of convenience nor a life of seeking your own self. It is a call to a life of self-denial and pouring oneself out for the sake of others. Um, You may have heard this before. Uh, Kind of in the church world, there's this phrase. It's called the 80-20 rule. 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people in most local churches. Let me tell you something. That ain't true at Story Church. And I love it. We are a serving church. And here's my desire. I want the 100-100 rule, right? I want 100% of the work done to be done by 100% of the people. This is called the priesthood of all believers. We are all gifted and called to serve one another. It's not just that a select few do all of the work. As a matter of fact, my primary job as a pastor, our elders here are called to equip the saints, you all, to do the work of ministry. So I want that number to continue to grow so that every single person is serving one another, the priesthood of all believers, and we hit the 100-100 rule. We can do it, okay? So, so here's the deal. On any given month, we've got around 90 people who serve in various ways, students, kids, production, worship, set up, tear down, hospitality, home groups, all these different ways. And what we want to do over the course of this next week, hopefully this morning, is, is we want to get into triple digits. We want to go from a 90 to 100, Okay, we want 10 more people. If you call Story Church home and you've been here any length of time, we wanna call you to a life of service. We wanna call you to see your brothers and sisters here at Story Church and a lost and dying world out there as worthy of your service, that you will be humbled for the sake of their exaltation, that you would be the person who so compelled by the love of Jesus says, I love you enough to get down and wash your feet and serve you. Be someone who is so glad that Jesus saved them that you can't help but serve others. To be someone who is so overcome that Jesus chose to save you that you're like, man, I'm gonna give my life away for the sake of the other people at this church that I call home. So how how can you do that? Uh, Just go to story.church, hit the serve page. Download our app um, on Church Center and and fill out the serve button. But, But if you're not currently serving and you call Story Church home, this is it, this is your chance. Lay your life down for the sake of service. And you're sitting there saying, I'm not gifted. Yes, you are. I'm not equipped. We'll equip you. I don't know what my schedule is like. You're in control of your calendar. No one else is. Okay? We want to call you to a life of service. And for those of you who continue to faithfully serve, um, we just want to say thank you. This literally, four years, literally could not have happened apart from the service of the saints at Story Church. Many seen, much of it unseen. And we want to take a moment to say thank you. And even more important than us saying thank you, because that's just kind of hollow, like God says thank you. God sees it. God honors that. God blesses that. His name is being glorified, and eternity is being impacted because of your service. So don't grow weary in well-doing. Jesus sees and knows, and he loves you. Just love him back through your service. All right, we ready to serve? If you're not serving, sign up. Make sure that's happening. Go ahead and join me in a word of prayer. Father, we love you. And we do thank you for Jesus. That he came not to be served, but he served us and gave his life as a ransom for many. I pray, God, that 
we would be so overcome with his love for us that we would be overcome with love for others and lay our lives down in service, that we would truly seek to be great people, but we would do it through coming in last and being a servant of all, that true greatness is found in humility. And so, God, for those um, who are serving in the life of this church, um, I pray, God, that you would, uh, you would just speak a word of grace to them, that you would let them know you see them and love them, and you honor their efforts, and they are not unseen. And for those who are not serving, um, God, would you compel them to give their lives away for the sake of the gospel in your church, the very gospel that saved them and the church of which they are a part. So God, would you continue to grow us as a serving church, and through that service, would it just naturally overflow into reaching our community? We thank you. And it's all in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen.